KDAL's Master Gardener, Bob Olin. And away we go with the Bob Olin Show. Good morning, Bob. Well, good morning, Dave. That's been quite an interesting weather period, hasn't it, here? <laughs> yeah, 77 <laughs> degrees, I think, a week ago today. And uh, today it got down to 15 in Superior and down into the 20s in uh, Duluth. Yeah, 20s in Duluth and 15 in Superior. I'm sure outlying areas were uh, mm. low 20s into the teens, I'm sure. Yep. That's way, be- way below average, and we were way above average before. <laughs> but do you know what that resulted in? A very average season. <laughs> right, yeah. You just go from highs to lows, but in the middle it's right where it's supposed to be. <laughs> right, and you know... I always take a look at the uh, the weather statistics because, really, the climate and weather really does dictate how our plants perform out there and when we're going to be doing things. And it's very remarkable because we had these swings, but overall, the growing season, and we consider the meteorological growing season when most of the plant activity occurs, June, July, and August, just about average. We never had hot extremes. We had one day at 94. This is at Duluth Airport, and I know temperatures vary uh, around this area. But nonetheless, uh, we had very little extremes. We had, uh, we've had we had the rainfall events, which have been characteristic over the last 15, 20 years when they really started monitoring uh climate and, and uh, a lot of the weather statistics uh, and looking for some of the uh, changes that might be occurring. And we have had a lot of rainfall events. We really didn't have those intense rains. Uh, we had w- warmer, slightly warmer evening temperatures. You know, evening temperatures very critical for uh, growth of plants because we're actually burning carbohydrates in the evening. So if we have very warm evening temperatures, we have to compensate for that with real optimum temperatures the next day to recover some of the uh, some of the sugars we lost at night. But we had very average, maybe a little bit, a little bit above average uh, evening temperature, but everything's within a fraction of a degree of our long-term averages. So, for us, now the rest of the world is, seems to be going through other extremes. For us, it was just very, very average, but with some of these extremes. Now, last year, as an example, we came in in October and we hadn't had a frost, and we uh, we were kind of anticipating that long, prolonged fall this year because we started off very slow. Uh, May was, we had uh, snow obviously on the ground in the May. Everybody got their gardening off to a little bit of a late start and we thought maybe we would compensate uh, for that by a very long warm fall like we had last year. But that of course wasn't the case. We did, our our first frost date was a little bit uh, delayed beyond the average, but nonetheless uh, we, we were pretty much average there. We didn't get the prolonged uh, warm fall uh, that we would have liked and this for most folks is a second hard frost or freeze i think this is one that took out just about everything dave but uh very very interesting so we get a chance here we'll talk about how people might adjust to some of this and uh, i think taking a few notes at this point and i've got a few thoughts that came out of everything all the growing i've been doing and uh, how i could have adjusted and handled this season a little bit better and gotten a little bit more productivity good productivity we had moisture we had sunlight we got had that combination we had a different uh, you know a different group of diseases and insects that got expressed because they're responsive to weather conditions as well but nothing really that uh, that would have for the most part shut our production down so we had a good growing season not an extraordinary growing season but i think if we take a few notes and plan again into the future we even make these types of conditions that much better, Dave. Well, the South Shore ended up with about, uh, I don't know, 9, 10 inches of snow in some places, too. So they got uh, the snow cover earlier this year. 
isn't that something? And I know these temperatures are significantly below average for yeah. the next day or so, and then I think we're going to warm up. Isn't that yeah, right? Yeah, back above average again for the weekend. We'll be in the 60s by Sunday, I guess. So you never can tell. You never can tell. It makes things very interesting, yeah. doesn't it? All right, we'll be back and take a quick break. Bob Olin Show here on KDAL. It's 920. 922, Bob, I think this is the time of year you uh, normally have folks starting to put those uh, bulbs into the ground for next spring. You are absolutely right there, Dave. We're just at that point. If you're a garlic fan, uh, you want to... It's got a nice weekend coming up here. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a garlic fan, you want to get those in the ground now. We don't want to go too early. If you manage to get some of the Master Gardener bulbs at, the, at their uh, wonderful fall plant sale, uh, this is the time to put them in the ground. I think that uh, you might want to take a look at where you're planting them. I mean, we could share a couple thoughts with that. First, uh, let's talk about that uh, that prep area. You want to get out there, and if you've got any perennial weeds, a good uh, good time to identify those. The perennial weeds are still going to be green in many cases. So if you've got grass of any type, quack grass and whatnot, at this point, uh, you're going to have to get in there with a spade. You're going to have to dig some of that out. They've got underground roots and rhizomes and stolons. So these are all plant structures that are very vital, very alive. And if you just get in there and chop things up and don't uh, sift through the soil and take those underground runners out, uh, you're just basically taking cuttings. And you're going to fight these types of perennial weeds next year. So you want to take a little bit of time. Got a nice uh, weekend with some nice weather coming out. You want to let that soil thaw. I'm assuming in some areas... We got a little frosted already, but let things thaw, and then uh, maybe this weekend spend some time cleaning it up. Uh, the annuals have already, if there was a lot of annual weed seed kicked in, you can anticipate you're going to have some of that to deal with next year, but shallow cultivation is one thing, but having these perennial grasses in there can make things really challenging for your uh, your crop. Now, a lot of the spring flowering bulbs, the, the crop is really the beautiful flower that come in the spring. The weeds won't affect that too much this year, but if you want to try to carry them over, they become very competitive. A crop like garlic, um, yeah, we pop it out of the ground early next spring, but the problem is uh, it will really not mature until we get well into August, so you're gonna, it's going to compete against weeds. Weeds are really a, a very competitive uh, plant for the overall growth of, of any uh, productive crop that you want, including these kinds of uh, crops. But your one chance, because you're going to be planting, the one chance to get the perennial weeds out is right now get in there with a spade, dig, and sift and get anything that's inviolable out of the soil at this particular time. So you want to you want to do that. You want to work in if you've got compost, uh, all of our soils, for the most part. Now, it's kind of interesting. We've got in, in this area, we've got the peatlands, which is all organic. Then we've got mineral soils, which are very low in organic. If somehow nature had decided to mix the two, we probably would have had an ideal set of circumstances. But now we've got 100% organic in one area, and... And in the mineral soils, which are most of our garden plots, we get one or two percent organic or even less in some cases. So this gives you an opportunity. Remember, you're planting perennial crops. You won't have a chance to get down in the soil at that point. So you want to incorporate organics. What could that be? That could be acid sphagnum peat moss. Could be uh, compost, certainly. Garden Green, one of our good sponsors there, has got a great product, the municipal compost that comes from the uh, Western Lake Superior Sanitary District. Many of our other listeners have got municipalities that have compost areas. Make sure you've got a well-composted area. If you're uh, if you're actually taking it from one of these municipal sites, you want to be a little careful there. You don't want what we call green compost, something that isn't mature. So whether it be your compost pile or if you're getting it from another source, 
make sure you got quality material. But once you clean the weeds out, then you want to get this organic in there now because it'll have a tremendous growth response for these bulbs. So then we'll we'll take a little look. We're going to space them properly. We're going to uh, sure that we don't get them in too deep. And we want to make sure that we get them oriented properly. So look at the tip of the bulb. I have seen bulbs planted with the tip down, believe it or not. And then you got to turn that around. You don't see the roots at this time, so the tip has to be up. As a rule of thumb, the larger the bulb, the deeper it can go. Uh, the lighter your soil. By light, we mean sandy, sandy loam. The deeper it can go. Heavy clays, we're going to have to come up a little bit farther. Small bulbs, of course, we're going to have to come up as well. So usually maybe uh, two times the diameter, two and a half times the diameter of the bulbs about where you're going to plant them. So we've got a good bed prepared. We've got them properly spaced. Don't push it in too tight. I see people putting bulbs in two to three inches apart. Let's give them a little bit of room, eight inches apart, so that we've got, so they can actually grow. So you're going to let them grow. Uh, they're going to be down in the soil at this point. The other thing you might want to do is you might want to incorporate, I would say for our area, a little potassium. Uh, oftentimes our soils got a soil test. We don't know for certain, but in most cases our native soils are low in potassium. Potassium should really be put in with that organic material if you're going to rototill it in or dig it in because it doesn't uh, leach real readily through the soil. So we got a good bed. we got good organic. we got good fertility in there. Let's stay away from the nitrogen. We don't need that at this point. Got good fertility in there. We're going to get them properly spaced. We're going to get them in the ground at the right level. Everything's ready to go. And then if you've got gray squirrels of any type, uh, you want to pull some kind of a protective uh, layer over the top. Uh, typically, we'll use hardware cloth. You can use, uh, you can use other fabric material if need be or screening of one type. Uh, some of these squirrels will go through a plastic mesh. Now, this is going to come off next spring when those tips come up because we can't uh, impede their growth. But it'll protect them. Sometimes I think those squirrels are watching you as you go through all this trouble, <laughs> and you you put lead money into those very very classic expensive tulip bulbs, and then they'll come in and they say thank you for the for the Thanksgiving right. feast you prepared for me. So <laughs> we want to, particularly in the urban areas where we have a gray squirrel population, some type of protection. Agricoles quarter inch mesh, you can use it year after year. Put it on now, and then what we really want in the fall like this. There's enough warmth in the soil. We want the roots to start. We want the, the tip to break, but we don't want anything to come above the surface. Then we let things cool cool down. And if you have very tender bulbs, and now this is true of many of our tulips, not all of them, many of them, uh, certainly not daffodil, they'll take it. Some of our garlic is very tender as well. And as a rule of thumb, a little quality straw on the top, but we're going to wait until November, until temperatures get a little cooler. And then just in the event that we don't get any snow protection, if we had a very, very cold early start of the winter without snow, that can be damaging to many of these bulbs. So we're going to be putting uh, some kind of protective layer if you have gray squirrels, and then you're going to be putting some straw on the top, six to six to eight inches or so of a quality weed-free straw. That'll come off in the spring. Your protective layer will come off in the spring, and then you're ready to go there, Dave. So I did kind of a, a primer there, kind of a run-through of uh, what you want to do with these bulbs. Well worth the effort. Great opportunity to plant. Now you will feel so good because they jump out next spring before you're doing any other planting. I think some of the re most rewarding early spring activities is to see some of the bulbs emerge from the soil that you planted uh, last fall so it's a lot of fun it's worth the effort and uh this is the time to do it dave a lot of folks are going to have plenty of leaves around but that uh, straw is much better as an insulator than the leaves i assume 
You know what you can do with leaves, but the problem is uh, insulating value comes from trapped air. And the nice thing about a straw, first it's intertangled, so we're trapping some air, but a straw, which of course is the shaft of a, of a grain product, like uh, wheat as an example, you've got the head, but then you've got that nice shaft. It has actually air chambers in the structure of the stem. So this is where that trapped air comes from, and this is where this is what provides the insulating value. If you just put leaves on there, a little moisture, a little water, they tend to compress. As soon as they compress, uh, then there's no insulating value for you. You can put leaves in what we call a pillow pack. You can put them in uh, plastic bags, uh, you know, a garbage bag. And uh, then they retain their loft because they don't get wet, and that can be used uh, very definitely. That can be used for that. If you're tipping uh, hybrid tea roses, uh, we use those. Uh, pillow packs of leaves all the time. We just don't put the leaves on directly. Got a lot of leaves. They're going to go in the compost pile. We'll get a chance. We'll give you some <laughs> compost basics coming forward here. Right. But uh, leaves for insulation really should go in in some kind of a protective barrier. Some years, if you don't have uh, moisture, they'll they'll retain some of their loft. If we get a little on top of that, they're fine. But in many years, we'll get a rain on a warm event like what you've got there, and that's what gets some wet. And then that eliminates all the air, and you have virtually no insulating value that comes from them. And snow is pretty important, too, uh, through the winter, obviously, before it gets sub-zero. Hey, absolutely. We really like that snow. The best insulator out there is really snow for a couple of reasons. You get First, it, it's got the same kind of structure. It traps air. But then when it starts to melt in the spring, right away you've got that nice discharge of moisture right down in the soil just as these bulbs are beginning to merge. They need some water at that time. And uh, at that point, you get this nice little uh, benefit from the melting snow. So snow, if we can get it early, is very beneficial. After the ground freezes, if it comes in January or sometime, it, yeah, we get a little snow melt, not as much, because ground's frozen, doesn't go in. So we really want snow, but we love it early if we could dial that in, Dave. So we'll leave that one up to you. All right. We'll take another <laughs> break and be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show here on KDAL. Well, like last week, we talked about a giant pumpkin that set a record uh, grown in southern Minnesota. Now there's a woman in the state of Virginia who's offering a reward to get her four-foot squash back. She says somebody stole her squash from the state fair after she won first place. She says a lot of work went into growing it, and uh, this is her first prize. She wants the squash back. Officials at the fair don't know what happened, but the woman is not filing a police report. She just wants it returned, and she's posted a $225 reward for the return of her squash. So she put a lot of work into growing that thing, apparently. Yeah, absolutely. Did did they give you a weight on that? What did that run? Not a weight, but it was four feet, so I guess it's pretty big. Yeah, pretty pretty large. Yeah. Squash and pumpkins, of course, and we've got four different uh, species there, and they interchange in many cases, but we've got uh, a lot of variability there. It's kind of interesting, uh, very interesting growing season I look at it, because we ripened <laughs> a lot of squash very easily, yeah. and uh, it wasn't it wasn't that warm necessarily, but we got some beautiful Hubbards. We're going back to some of those older varieties, the standard Hubbards, which are heirloom varieties, and uh, uh, they're what we call open pollinated. Nobody wanted those for the longest time. Those are great squash, but they can run certainly 20, 25 pounds. And uh, they were kind of a mainstay. I mean, uh, squash, squash along with potatoes, any of these winter storage crops really is what sustained uh, people's diet and their food supply and the calories that they needed. And it's it's kind of interesting. We've, we've come so far with the uh, introduction of new varieties and because gardens are smaller, lots are smaller, people really aren't totally dependent upon what they grow for their food supply. 
um, there's been a real desire to shrink the size of so many of these varieties. So consequently, uh, we've got uh, baby blue, what we call baby blue hubbards. It's kind of a generic category for some of the smaller hubbards. And I was growing a lot of those. I got to tell this story because I still think it's really funny because that an individual said, nobody will grow me a Hubbard squash. And I said, well, we can grow Hubbards for sure. And uh, he uh, it was very happy. I grew out uh, several for him. And I said, uh, now what are you going to do with them? He said, well, my mother uh, was born and raised on a farm near Cotton, Minnesota. And he says, she's out in L.A. So she said, I, every year I promised to bring her a Hubbard to take her back to her <laughs> early days. So he gets his 25, 28-pound Hubbard, huge Hubbard. And I said, now how are you going to get it there? I don't know how this worked for this man, but he was of the opinion he was going to just throw it in the overhead bin. <laughs> I don't know what regulations are today, and I'm not sure what what uh, TSA and others, uh, what he approached with that huge offer, but that, that was his plan. I don't know if he made it or not, or if he had to ship it uh, separate or put it in the baggage <laughs> compartment. I'm not really sure. Yeah, I'm not sure it would fit in the overhead bin. He probably had to I'm check it. I'm not sure it would either. Yeah, he probably had to check it, but he thought that was going to be his first plan, so we'll <laughs> see what happened. But uh, some of these old varieties, uh, that incidentally, if you're growing hubbards, uh, very, very fine variety, and you know, one kind of feeds the family now. And since we're talking squash a little bit, I will uh, just point out to people that, um, you know, they're very, very nutritious. Uh, if you want to store them long-term, they do store real nicely. But if you have winter squash that has the hard shells, these are the acorns, butternuts, buttercups, hubbards, as I mentioned. Um, these are all great, uh, great squash varieties. But if you really want to store them long-term, uh, they're a little different than potatoes. You want to bring them up, and I always tell people, if you find the warmest spot in the house, if you can find 75 degrees, we have to firm that rind up for about two weeks and uh, make sure that's been exposed to warmer temperatures. And then we drop them down to about 50 degrees, uh, not 40 or 35, which is where we store uh, potatoes and carrots. But these want to be stored a little bit warmer and a little bit drier, but that's still very, very cool. If you harden them off properly and if they were mature when you harvested in the field and if you find those kinds of 50 degree conditions, uh, they can last till spring. So they, wow. and I know, I know people that were really, uh, dependent upon a lot of these squash for food supply. That was one of the reasons that, uh, they store so readily and so store so easily. So a lot of interest, a lot of, uh, new varieties coming out in squash. One of the things that I've found in the way I've used them that uh, a lot of people are roasting vegetables, and the roasting, of course, is, is higher temperatures for the root crops, whether it be beets, whether it be uh, uh, potatoes, onions, and squash. But to cube that up, don't pre-cook it, cube it up, get the skin off, of course, and then use that in your nice mix that goes on a cookie sheet and in the oven, 425, a little olive oil, a little salt and pepper. For takes a while for these hard uh, root crops, along with the beets. I mentioned, forgot about the beets. They go real good here as well. And then uh, maybe minimum of uh, 50 minutes probably, sometimes maybe uh, a little over an hour to get them cooked. So when you need a little heat there in the kitchen on a cool day, they make an extraordinarily good meal, and uh, don't forget to cube up some of that raw squash on there. That really is delicious. Almost tastes like a nice sweet potato, and it's a it's a real great way to introduce people that don't like squash but may like some of these other vegetables. You can introduce them to uh, squash that way, and then they become big squash fans from that uh, that point on. Dave. You can cube the squash, or you can squash the squash. Yeah, you can. Yeah. And, and pre-baking <laughs> it and then squashing it and using it that way uh 
you know, as a squash vegetable uh, is what the way it's uh, typically used. But is that how, they, it, you, how, how did it get its name, squash? Is that why? Maybe that's possible. Huh. I think a lot of the plants look like they've been squashed. A lot of the <laughs> varieties look like they've been flattened. All right. And maybe that's where it came from. There's a question I don't have a good answer for you. Maybe we can find out where, but... Uh, All right. You know, most people will take them, they'll slice them up, and you'll you'll bake them in the oven after you pull out the seed cavity for, you know, slightly cooler temperatures, 350 degrees, until you get a nice texture there, they're nice and soft, and then they scoop it out, and you can use it as vegetable on your plate, or you can use it for any other number of components. Squash soups become extremely popular, and uh, you can use it there. And but uh, don't forget to try roasting it at, at warmer temperatures. It uh, it's very very good that way as well. All right, let's head to the phone. See what we got here. Uh, who's this? Hi. Hi, uh, this is Crystal. All right. And uh, I have a question about the strawberries. Um, I renovated okay. my strawberry bed uh, this uh, year. About good. August, I pulled out the original mother plants. Okay. And I left. Uh, I let one runner plant um, per for the ones that were left go. And I'm wondering now, next spring, will I have to pull off the blossoms on those new runner plants? You know, I would. Uh, once again, you're, re- you're renovating, so it's almost as if you're establishing a new bed. And that first year, what we want to do, because you've got one runner per plant, and then you took out the mother plants. So that area where the mother plants were will be your new row. That's where you're going to be walking. The daughter plants will form the new bed. And what you really want to do is you want to fill that whole bed with additional plants. So you want those runners to kick out additional daughter plants. So that first year, let let them run. And uh, the way a June-bearing strawberry grows naturally is in the early part of the year, it will kick out additional runners. And there won't be a lot of flower production, but there may be flower production on those original daughters. And that first year, I would definitely be pulling out, uh, pulling those blossoms off and uh, just letting all the growth go into the vegetation. So it's just as if you're starting that first year, you're going to, uh, you're going to establish a real nice dense bed of vigorously growing plants. Then it's coming into the next year that the productivity will be there. And hopefully uh, that new renovated bed will give you good production for a minimum of two to three to four years. But if you do prune it out, then we don't get the, uh, if we do not take the blossoms off, then we don't get this proliferation of young daughter plants. We don't get a nice thick bed of plant material, and it will kind of impact your, your yield going forward. Obviously, you can get some fruit the first year, but it's a little bit of delayed uh, satisfaction Commercially, they still pull all those blossoms that first year. Does that make sense? Uh, I have to take the blossoms off of both plants. Uh, I would take out the old mother plants. Did you? Are you going to take out? I pulled out the original mothers, and now the daughters. I have sent out the runners. Yeah, the the daughters have the daughters produced some additional runners already. Yeah. Yes, I would. I would pull blossoms from all of those because you will get a proliferation of uh, additional plant material. So, what you ultimately want on your new bed, where where these daughters stretched in, is you want an area maybe eighteen inches wide that's just filled with plants. It's just like a real thick bed. That's what we want to accomplish the first year. Then those plants, the next year, will be setting up uh, blossoms, and you'll be harvesting uh, from that okay. point on. And you want to be a little careful again because, uh, you know, they will take uh, they won't take extremely cold temperatures 
right now. So you want to have a good straw source. You want to let them leave them be exposed to cooler temperatures, low 20s, and uh, for a prolonged period, not just a one night like this. So we got warming that's occurring. So you still got good vegetative growth going there. So sometime in November, uh, you want to cover and protect those plants. And then that will have to come off in the spring. You might want to pull the straw a little bit off in the event that you've got uh, some of these blossoms setting up. In the future, we, we don't want to lose any of that, so we don't want any damage from a late spring frost. So for a homeowner, you can just pull the straw off early as they begin to grow. If we do get an extremely cold period, you got that in the forecast, and that's going to be down uh, certainly below 25. Let's just pull a little, a little bit of that straw back on so there isn't damage to the plant, and I think you're going to be off to a good start. I will say this, there's nothing like a homegrown strawberry. There's a little bit of technique, as you found. There's a little bit of effort that goes into producing them, but the uh, the result is tremendous. Uh, very, very high-quality fruit and dairy. Yes. And then can I say, ask, or say one sure. more thing? Uh, the Superior Downtown Farmer's Market is still going for two more weeks on Wednesdays okay. on Banks Avenue. Oh, okay, great. Okay, great. Good news. we still got a little season. And you made it through the frost last night, I hope, or the freeze last night. 15 in Spirit, wow. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty yeah. cold. Hey, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. We're at uh, 946. Got to take another break, Bob. Be right back on KDAO. Back again, Bob Olin. Bob, we should mention the uh, farmer's market going on tomorrow and again Saturday in Duluth as well. And that's right, Duluth and Spirit. So we're going to the end of the uh, mm-hmm. end of October here. We still got a lot of great pumpkins, got a lot of great squash, a lot of great potatoes. New tomatoes, or after last night, we'll see how our growers did. Uh, it got cold for many of them as well, but everything is kind of, in my case, double wrapped. We don't, we don't, we don't stop with one layer of covering. We're at least two or three layers of covering. So uh, there will still be product of, of all types, and of course, in Duluth, that's Fourteenth uh, Avenue East and Third uh, Street, and uh, both Wednesday tomorrow, two to five, and we have Customer Appreciation Day on Saturday. It's always Ooh. a great time. Yeah, we'll be giving away a lot of product and uh, just having a good time. Lots of good music. And uh, Clarence, uh, Terrence Smith, which uh, does such a nice job with the young kids making music, letting them participate, he'll be there on Saturday. And it, it will be very, very, very festive. And we really want to take this opportunity to thank all the great customers that support the local farms in this area. But customer appreciation Saturday afternoon. And then tomorrow, of course, great time to shop because it's not near as crowded and easy to park. Uh, that, that again is two to five, 14th Avenue East and third, just one block down from the Burrito Union, which is up on 4th Street. So there we go. Thank you, Dave. And thanks to all of our customers that have showed up this year. It's been a, a, a good growing season. Well, I take it you still have some tomatoes in the ground then, right? Oh, yeah. We still got tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see after last night. I haven't checked. But <laughs> okay. We've got some in high tunnels and so forth. So we have a few tomatoes left for sure. All right. Very good. What else is going good. on, Bob? Well, you know, I've got questions from people about uh, reseeding. I had a question from someone about reseeding their lawn at this point, if Ooh. it was too late. And uh, well, it's kind of interesting. And then questions on dormant seeding. So at this point, we usually cut off the seeding date at about mid-September, depending on the year. And the reason for that, if we were to seed right now at this point, and uh, now we're talking about areas where we've made a seed bed, we're putting grass seed now in the ground, if we'd come in and seed at this point, we get some moisture that occurs. And uh, on the weekend, or there's moisture in the soil right now, for that matter, we get a warming period. Those small seeds germinate. 
and they begin, the seed tip begins to emerge from the soil, and then we get the open cold temperatures. So oftentimes it's just an exercise in futility to try to seed this late. So we like to seed early and sod as long as the ground isn't frozen. So if that's an option for you, you can get the sod on there. Um, people ask me about this concept of dormant seeding. Dormant seeding, really, you can do that, but it's too early for that. So you want to go on just before winter really closes in. So you've got you've got uh, perhaps a seed bed that's already frozen. At that point, you're going to drag some seed into it, and you want that seed to remain dormant. So that's going to occur probably sometime in November. That's kind of hit or miss. I've been extremely successful with that, and then I've failed miserably with it as well. <laughs> so it, uh, but it can be one way or another. The whole concept is the seed goes on very late. It doesn't break dormancy, so it doesn't germinate. So you don't have any winter damage. But it's sitting there, and as soon with the moisture in the soil, as soon as that so- that soil begins to uh, thaw with all the moisture, it takes off and it grows very, very prolifically. And if there is any uh, any resistance, oftentimes we've got that dormancy that needs to be broken in seed that gets broken by the refrigerator temperatures under the snow all winter and then things break and start very early before you could even get on there and, and even manipulate the soil in the spring. So dormant seeding can be effective. It also can be, depending on the conditions, uh, very, very challenging. Um, the other question I'm getting is, can you still uh, put uh, apple trees in the ground if you have them? You know, you you really can as long as you can get into the um, get into the ground this time of year this wind that we've had over the last and boy that was cold last night anyone was out there working in the field that wind was really pretty wicked that's the other thing i'll mention if you have to cover um when you get these kind of winds make sure your coverings are secured because uh i've seen many situations i double wrap blew off the top cover i was surprised on some things make sure everything you got is secured to the ground rocks uh anything else you want to pig them in but these kinds of winds, that can be extremely damaged. If you're planting a new tree, the only time we really recommend that you stake with guy wires uh, is this late in the year. Earlier, we really don't need that uh, because we're going to get a root system that's going to get established. And this root system may not really be well established at this point. So you want to plan on putting the tree in the ground. Uh, doing all those things that make for a good tree installation. And then at this point, you're going to have some guy wires, and you want to be very careful that if if whatever comes in contact with the the stem itself, the trunk of the tree, you have to have that protected. And oftentimes a piece of uh, a garden hose that you slip that you can wrap around, and, of course, that cabling uh, comes Inside the garden hose, the garden hose itself comes in contact with the stem. So you want to do that at least two sides of the tree, maybe three, depending on the size of the tree. Get it staked down so that we don't pop that root ball out of the, out of the ground before those roots have a chance to get established. Now, once you get through the year, maybe one full year staked with guide wires like that, then we want to pull these, um, these protectors off because ideally a strong tree is one that does work its way in the wind and um, that stem moves back and forth and in the process we uh, develop stronger cells and you develop a stronger tree if you leave those guy wires on uh, for a number of years then you decide they got to come off the tree hasn't had a chance to strengthen and oftentimes we will snap trees that haven't had that opportunity to move in the wind so our main reason for putting the guide wires up is done very typically i see it done in june you don't need it done in june you need it done now very late in the year in june those roots are going to hold for you and then you don't have to go through all the trouble and the 
a tree will whip in the wind and develop strength. But right now you've got to do it. You want to protect them because there isn't going to be the opportunity to get a strong root system. We don't want to pull that tree out of the ground or the wind to pull it out of the ground. But one year maximum and get those guy wires off and let, let that young tree just uh, fight its way through the world and in the process will develop a lot of strength. Kind of okay? like tr- kind of like training wheels for the tree. It's kind of like training yeah. wheels. You want to the get tree. them off, you know, as soon as you can and let the tree do its own thing. That's right. Good right. analogy. <laughs> Very good. Hey, Bob, we got to wrap it up, I guess, for today. But, uh, again, remind folks about the uh, farmer's markets coming up tomorrow on Saturday. Uh, farmer's market, uh, Wednesday, uh, 2 to 5, and Saturday, 8 till noon. We've got a superior market. Mention that as well. Mm-hmm. We all work together on these things. And uh, still plenty of product. We want to invite people down. Uh, and uh, we should have really uh, very, very good markets coming into the rest of the week here. All right, and the Bob Olin Show returns next Tuesday, same time right here on KDAL. Thanks, Bob. Thank you, Dave.